morning we're starting a new sermon series based from the book of 1 John. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to 1 John. The words will also be on the screen. If you're having a little difficulty finding 1 John, I know for some of us, maybe it's the book of the Bible that we don't spend a whole lot of time in. It's all the way towards the end. And so if you can find the book of Revelation and then go the other way, um, away from the index, uh, or whatever is in the maps in the back of your Bible, you'll find 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so that's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. And here's the big idea that we need to recognize before we even take a look at the first verse that we see in 1st John. Today we're just going to be talking about 1st John chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 4. But if we do not recognize this massive mystery... John's prologue, and really the rest of this book, is not going to make any sense to us at all. And here's the mystery that we kind of need to at least identify, and to the best of our ability, kind of wrap our heads around a little bit. Because John addresses it directly in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In fact, it's probably John's favorite theme that he likes to write about. And here's the mystery. So we have this idea, or concept, or reality of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're familiar with this. And we know that from eternity past until eternity future, given everything else that we know, see, and experience and feel, the one thing that we can hold for certain is that if there is a God, he has been self-existent and he doesn't need anything. Because that's kind of like the very idea of being God. That he exists outside of time, in perfect community with himself, and wants for nothing. Has the power to meet any need that he might have. In fact, the idea of God needing anything is kind of a paradox. And so here's the big mystery, is that if God existed before the world began, and will exist long after the world is gone, and we're just a blip on the cosmic radar outside of time and history, then why did God create the place at all? Like, if he's God, he's perfectly happy, he's perfectly joyful, he's perfectly content, he's perfectly satisfied, he's perfectly everything. Like, that's God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like it's good, right? So why us? This is the mystery. And obviously there are philosophies that can wrestle with this question. Some would say there is no point to us. We're just a mistake. Just ooze and lightning and something magical happened and here we are. Others would, would point to a creator God who cares. Others would point to a God who's got things going and then went to go visit some other galaxy because obviously he's not present here because white face hornets and, that, and God don't work. And so one of the two can't be real. And since, uh, you know, some of us got stung yesterday, white face hornets are real, so therefore God is not. So we have different philosophies, different ideas, different religions for answering this mystery because we all kind of feel it. Like, God doesn't need anything. If God is God, he's perfectly self-sufficient, why us? And this is what, this is how John begins his epistle, a letter to a first century church, or better understood, a community of first century churches that uh, we would call located in modern day Turkey. Modern day Western Turkey is where this initial, this letter was initially sent and it floated from church to church to church in the first century. John, of course, was an apostle. John was the one that uh, refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the one that Jesus loved. John was most likely a cousin of Jesus. John was well-connected with the power structures of the day. John is the disciple or the apostle that lived the longest. 
he was not martyred. He died a peaceful death in exile on the island of Patmos at an old and advanced age where he wrote the book of Revelation. And so John is kind of like a senior statesman. And this is what he writes. And he's dealing directly with this great mystery of our existence, which is why. If God is perfectly happy, why us? John begins, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there before we cover verse 4. There's two really enigmatic assumptions going on here in the text, and they have to do with this mystery, which is, the first is, John is alluding to creation. If you take a look at how he begins this book that he wrote, if you take a look at how he began the Gospel of John, and you take a look at how uh, the beginning of Genesis begins, you can see he's using Genesis-type language to refer to matters that go back to eternity. And he makes this statement, what was from the beginning? What was from eternity? What has been true about the planet ever since there's been a planet? And then he says this, what we have heard, what we have seen, and what we have observed. He has this incredibly tactile experience with eternal stuff. And it's just this huge leap, it's just an audacious statement that this guy, you know, granted, the Apostle John, and he was a statesman and all that, that this guy would make this statement that he has this very real, very tactile, very visceral very relational experience with what was from the beginning. Like, you just don't hear people talk about that very often. That, that they have this intimacy with God. And this is what he's referring to. And he goes on to describe it in verses 2 and 3. In greater detail, he's basically repeating himself so that there's no confusion that this is exactly the claim that he's making. And then he comes to verse 4. The audacious idea that John has this tactile, relational, personal, intimate, taste, touch, sound, hear, feel experience with God, this is what he says. It takes it to a whole other level. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The idea is that he expects us to have the same experience. And he's writing to people who never met Jesus personally. He's writing to people from modern-day Turkey which is significantly to the north of modern-day Jerusalem, where most of the New Testament takes place, at least in the nation of Israel. The people that he's writing to are not even Jews, never mind from Jerusalem or Judea. And he's saying, I have experienced something from eternity, and I expect that you have too. And I'm writing so that our joy, which is eternal fellowship, may be complete. And that's the part that just really gets me. Because if we go back to the original mystery, there's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't need anything. Perfectly satisfied with being self-existent and omnipotent and omniscient and all the things that we know are true of God. But 
But there was something about their experience before the world that created that was not complete with the word that is used. That was not quite whole. That there was something missing that that being possible for God to experience. Apparently it is. And that something was us. Specifically, that something was people of faith who can experience now in time an aspect of eternity. This is a very difficult concept to wrap our minds around. So a couple of illustrations might be helpful. One of the magical things about living in New England are apple orchards. And this is the season. Like, it's now. And almost all of us have had the experience of going to the apple orchard and loading the little ones in your four-wheel drive stroller or the wagon uh, or the backpack or the sling or whatever mode of transport you do with your little ones because you know that they're not going to be able to walk through the orchard on the uneven ground uh, the way you'd like them to. And you know that if you let them walk freely, they will pick up all the apples that have fallen to the ground and put them in their mouth, which obviously is wrong to us, but so right to them. And so we have this experience where almost all of us have experienced the joy of the apple orchard. And it's not just apples. Sometimes there's peaches, sometimes there's pumpkins. And it's like the celebration of the fruitfulness of the summer and the anticipation of Thanksgiving and the winter in that you have apples and you have pumpkins and squash and gourds and corn stalks. And it's like this amazing... They don't do this in Arizona, right? This is not happening in New Mexico. They don't have what we have here in New England. And it's a little chilly out. And so you come with a sweatshirt, but then you kind of take it off after you're chasing your little ones through the apple orchard for a little while. What this is, is it's such a joyful family time. Whether you go home and, and make pie or just eat the apples, here's the reality. You could have bought the apples in a grocery store, right? They're there. You could have. But you wanted this experience with your family. So two things are true. You could have bought the apples in a, in a grocery store, but that would have been lame and you never see someone at an orchard by themselves. You don't see old guys at an orchard by themselves. This is something that you share with those that you love. And assuming that your time in the orchard is going well, you're going to do this. One of two things, or both. You're going to take pictures of your adorable family eating the windfalls and put them on social media. Why? Because you're having so much fun, you want to share it. You want more people to be a part of the joy of picking apples in New England in the fall. If you haven't already invited your friends to come and join you in anticipation of the joy that you're going to experience, picking apples on an orchard in the fall. I know it's kind of crazy and a little bit silly, but this is how God felt before the world began. Like, Holy Spirit and Jesus, this is awesome. It can be awesome earth. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. It can just be more right. We want to share the joy that we are experiencing from eternity past all the way through eternity future. And the only thing that could build our joy is if we had more people to share it with. And so they created people. This is the mystery found in 1 John. And John is saying, I have experienced the joy of that fellowship. I've tasted it. I, 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 I have had this experience that's real. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've touched it. It's a very tactile relationship with the eternity. And John says, make my joy complete by sharing this with me. But we've never met Jesus. God is not limited by time or space. He 
something that we can experience now, and hence the rest of his letter. How do you know that you are experiencing this fellowship with us and with God? Highlight your family and the joy that you're experiencing in the apple orchard. This past summer, uh, my family and I were able to have an incredibly beautiful time together as a family. Uh, the boys were off being amazing, and we saw this coming, obviously, uh, you know, years ago when we started saving, and we knew that we wanted to have a very special experience as a family, where our joy could be complete, where we could really finish the whole active parenting thing strong. And I know to some of you that this sounds so odd, but it's real. It happens. And others of you, you're like, yeah, it happens. And, and you can see how that's cool that you would go on a special trip as a family to celebrate that joy and to build it and to complete it before sending the boys off to be amazing. So our version of completing our joy looked like this. I only have two pictures that I want to share with you. That's what breakfast looks like every morning. That's coffee on a handmade table overlooking the infinity pool overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Like, if that's not your idea of awesome vacation, we're just not going to get to all of <laughs> And you might be thinking, wow, it must be nice to be a baller like Pastor Josh. What does that run you? $85 a night. $85 a night. And we spent five breakfasts overlooking this view right here. And I got myself in a little bit of trouble. Because this was the third place we had stayed. All of them were pretty amazing. And there was this theme throughout our trip. And finally, kindly and sweetly, my wife had to remind me to just knock it off. Because the only thing missing was I kept talking about the people in my life that I wish were there, that weren't there. We were having such an amazing time that I wanted to share it. This is what John is talking about. We're having such an amazing time. We want to share it. This is what God is talking about. We, the Trinity, are having such an amazing time. We want to share it. You guys don't even know the half of it. Take a look at this picture. This is a panoramic shot that Benaiah took. On the left-hand side is the guest hut that Ezra stayed in. He had his own house. Infinity pool with dolphins. You can see the house with the porch on the right where we had coffee. And in the distance is, you know, the hammock hut, where the hammock is thrown up underneath its own little hammock hut, with the sun deck in front of it. It's out of control. And so for like the first three days, I'm just listing off, and Mom, you were on that list. Yeah. We got to get the Nina down here. She can fly into Liberia. It's only a two-hour drive. We can pick her up. She will lose her mind. There's two cans swooping in front of us with power monkeys in the background. I'm not showing you the pictures of the beach or the restaurant that we ate on the beach or any of the other pictures that we took, just these two. But our joy was so full that we just had this desire to share it, to share it, to share it, to share it. And now that you see it, you're like, wouldn't that be amazing? $85 a night. I don't know if we'll ever have that opportunity again. But this is what happens when we are experiencing something that is truly joyous. And the question is, what does it look like when God is filled with joy? It looks like verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What it looks like when God is full of joy, it looks like, it looks like an invitation. 
it looks like as joyous as what this is, is, it could be more joyous if you were there with me. And John says, I have experienced this. I have touched this. I have seen this. I have heard this. It has been amazing, and it's been from eternity. The only thing missing in my life is full assurance that you too can share this fellowship with me. When God is filled with joy, it looks like an invitation. You know God is joyous when he is openly inviting people to come and be a part of his joy. And, and for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament text, even as I say these words, you're thinking of passages where you hear Jesus just openly inviting people to share with him in being who he is and inviting them into closer fellowship with him. What does it look like when God is joyous? What does it look like before the world began? It looks like an invitation. That the only thing that can perfect perfection is if there are just more people to enjoy it with God and his people. And so we see this morning that John is inviting his readers and us into a tactile, experiential relationship which completes the joy of God. Let me say that again, because it's kind of mysterious. How can you complete the joy of God? If he is the definition of completeness, how can there not be something complete about his joy? And the answer is, if we are not participating in it. That John is inviting us, that the gospel is inviting us into a tactile, experiential relationship that completes the joy of God. So that's kind of our introduction into 1 John. We're just covering the first four verses this morning. And the good news is, is that our final illustration, our final application, is the very one that Jesus gave us himself. That he says to his people that when you choose to step into this eternal fellowship, when you choose to complete the joy of God, it looks like this. Every time you come together and you share a meal, over the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the juice, remember me. And so we're going to move into a time of communion this morning, and it is a practical application of this morning's message, which is an invitation to complete the joy of God. And so if you've never taken communion, then I would encourage you this morning to, by faith, accept this joy of God that he offers by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, turning from the things that you know displease God and yourself and others, and accepting his offer of salvation. If you are a Christian this morning, then you know that this is a time of rededication that begins with repentance of any known sin, so that we come to the table with clean hands. And then doing what Jesus said we should do. And we're going to read those words in the book of 1 Corinthians here in just a few moments. But this morning, I'd like to ask the guys to come forward and begin distributing the elements. Uh, Vince, you can come back with your team. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up our time together today. Uh, by a time of communion, which is honestly the best and most biblical way of illustrating the power of these verses, that we will complete the joy of God by fellowshipping with Him in the way that we ask us to fellowship with Him, which is by way of receiving communion. And so I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on the rest of our time together this morning, and while we receive communion, and then we'll receive communion. If you're not comfortable receiving communion, or if you're not sure if it's for you, you just let the elements pass you by. But communion is much bigger than just a church, a membership question, or even an attendance question. It's a do you know Jesus question as you enter into that eternal fellowship.
so would you join me at that time? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be found perfectly obedient. Regardless of where the rest of our week goes, we are here now in the place that you've provided, doing what you've asked us to do in a way that we can show our faith by saying we have joined your eternal fellowship. It's not that we're perfect, but that you are, and that we have placed our faith in your Son, and we remember his death, burial, and resurrection through the taking of the bread and of the juice. So, Father, would you bless your people as we are obedient, and would you move powerfully through this time as we wrap up our